Welcome into the newest edition of Checkerboard Chat. Plenty of Tennessee sports to talk to you guys about today. A lot of stuff this last week. The Tennessee basketball team had another inconsistent one and two week, defeating South Carolina 93 to 73 before falling to Kentucky 70 to 55. And that's where we'll start today. I'm joined, as always, in this segment by our men's basketball beat writer, Jeffrey Russell. Jeffrey, um, what were your biggest takeaways on a Said another inconsistent week for Tennessee, a common theme. I think people maybe kind of got excited with the John Fulkerson game against South Carolina and then uh, just reverted back to his old ways again against Kentucky. I think this team desperately misses Josiah Jordan-James. I think he was really starting to come on, and uh, I think it was Kim English that last week called him undoubtedly the leader of this team at this point. So I think a team without its leader is going to struggle, but it's the same problems that keep rearing its ugly head, and I I think we saw it again this week, and I don't know why we wouldn't expect to see it again this coming week. Yeah, the Josiah thing is a good point because – you know, he doesn't blow you away with anything that he does, but you look at Tennessee's roster, they're thin. They don't have a whole lot of post steps. They don't have a ton of shooting. He kind of just fills the gap and can do a little bit of everything. Decent three-point shooter, weapons from the outside, helps with rebounding a ton, good on defense, can play the four when Pons and Fulkerson go out of the game, which, as we've talked about a lot on here, that's the biggest issue for this team, finding someone that can do that. I think my, one of my biggest takeaways is – you just saw Tennessee kind of two two weeks ago in that game at Kentucky. They started to shift their offense towards the freshmen. And I think this was – you were always going to see some of that, what you saw Saturday. The freshmen were – they're going to be inconsistent. That's just the reality of having freshmen. And I think Barnes has acknowledged that a lot. He said it's, you know, the older guys that we can't have that inconsistency for. But right now, offensively, Tennessee is relying on those young guys. So there's just going to be those, those games where they're going to have that inconsistency. And especially you look at – Kentucky that those two torched them two weeks ago. I'm sure all those five stars on that roster heard for the past two weeks how much better they those two five stars were. And they came out with a great game plan to stop them. I would think that's how, you know, every team should should will play them going forward, give them some space, really clog the lane and try to keep them from driving the basketball. And, you know, that's just that's just the reality nature of the situation. If Tennessee, you know, it's hindsight here, you look maybe if Tennessee pivoted towards those guys a little sooner in the season it would make it a little less fragile right now because I just think there's a lot of angst from fans and people following this team. Two weeks to go in the regular season, you're still having these big, big growing pains. It's tough, but I think that's just kind of the nature of the situation. Yeah, it's definitely a tough situation. And like you were saying, when they've they've tried to kind of push towards the play of the younger guys and Jaden and Keon, but at this point they've kind of become the one-trick pony that if they can't cut and drive to the lane – they're not really super threats from, you know, mid-range and outside. They've kind of got to get into the post to get their success. And teams are just locking down the paint and saying, beat us from the outside. And they haven't been proving that they're able to do that as of yet. Yeah, that's the thing with Springer that is odd to me because he's he has a good shot and he shoots at a pretty high percentage, I think over 40% from three. He just doesn't really take a whole lot of threes. And he's, he's started mm-hmm. to take more these last few weeks. But it feels like – and I think Barnes even said this post game. They don't like those shots where you're staring down your guy and you're shoot, shooting over him. So it's it's not really part of the offense. But you feel like if he would hit some of those, which I think he's capable of, it would open things up for him a little bit more to drive. Could be something worth watching going forward. We just got mm-hmm. done on this Monday talking to Rick Barnes, and he, you know, looking for consistency. That's what we've been here from every week. But what 
what did he say today that stood out to you? I think it, it kind of caught me just he's kind of the, the point with Fulkerson and Pons that everyone else who watching maybe is, is that he I don't think he knows what he can really do to kind of pull them out of the funk at this point. He kept saying, you know, they need to be more aggressive. They need to find their game. But at this point, he's been asking them to do that for three weeks and they haven't been doing it. So I think you kind of saw the frustration in his eyes and in his words today that he's realizing at some point, John Fulkerson has got to do it for himself. He's got to have it click in his mind that he's got to be able to pull himself out of this funk. And I don't know if I that that kind of was the biggest thing that stepped out to me today yeah I agree he you know he even said I think the question was pretty much if you could fix one thing with this team what would it be and he said I would we need interior scoring from those guys and I think that's an interesting question is he keeps on asking for him to be aggressive but what does that really look like for those guys because Fulkerson they're not really running the offense through him mm-hmm. now he is being he's being passive so there's certainly a middle ground there but he's not very strong. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, really overpower people down low going to the basket. And that's not Pons' game. I mean, mm-hmm. I think he's only taken like 26, 27 free throws on the year. I mean, it's, it's crazy how little, how few it is. And I'm sure that's maddening to Barnes. But Pons has really never shown at any time that I can think of a real ability to take the ball strong to the basket and draw fouls. He, he's good at yeah. finishing the easy dunks when, you know, he gets good passes. He's good at hitting that little 10 foot turnaround shot. And he last year, he hasn't been as good as this year, but last year he was a more reliable three point shooter. He doesn't really have that head down to the basket, make someone foul me game. So I don't know exactly what that looks like. Barnes was also on the pond thing. I thought this was interesting. He was asked if he thought he's been a lot less aggressive or less aggressive since his injury against Kansas. And he said, he thought he has, he's been more tentative offensively. And, you know, I think that's, a guy that we're going to talk about this more in a little bit, but I think that's a guy that can get going just because he's had some good, strong offensive stretches this season. And he's been kind of a go-to guy for Tennessee at times. And he doesn't need to be the go-to guy. I think that's still going to be Springer and Johnson, but if he can just be more consistent and have an offensive mindset without him being the go-to option, it almost seems like he's, he's locked in and he's going to take second most shots on the team, or he's going to be kind of like Fulkerson and be very passive. Yeah, I think with what you're saying with Pons, I I think there's more there that can be found in his game than Fulkerson's game. And once he gets healthy, he can be a good third or fourth option for this team. But I think what you're seeing with Fulkerson specifically on the aggressiveness is that the past few years he played with more of a a reckless abandon almost that he was going to throw his body into the paint and he was going to go in there and make a play. And to his credit, he's gotten beat up over the years. He's taken some injuries. I mean, he's got some wear and tear on his body. And if that's just something that has kind of mentally maybe in the back of his mind, he doesn't want to get beat up again, fair enough. But you just don't see him playing with that reckless abandon that he has the past few years. Yeah, I wonder how much of that goes into him being the guy or one of the guys and them not being a whole lot of post stuff. Obviously, his first mm-hmm. few years, he's out there playing – 10 minutes a game, it's you got five fouls to work with. You can go out there and play with reckless abandon. Now mm-hmm. it's a little bit less of the case. I, you know, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about it until you brought it up. I'd almost be interested to look back at last year and see how, how much he was playing in that nature because he obviously did play that way, but and he was the only, you know, he was one of the go to guys. There wasn't much depth on last year's team down low either, but he was just so talented scoring the ball. That was what blew you away about you away about. 
that's a good point and something that would be interesting to go back and look at from last year. The inconsistency. We've talked about it basically every week. How much is it solvable? Is that just who this team is? I, I, I've tried to, you know, try to remain positive about this team for a few weeks now, but at this point, I, I don't think it's solvable unless John Fulkerson can pick it up somehow. I think what you have from Keon and Jaden is what you're going to get. They're two, you know, super athletic supreme guys who can make plays with their, you know, uh, talents that has been gifted to them, but, you know, they don't shoot when they should shoot. And when they do shoot, it doesn't really go in that often. You know, I just think you're going to get what you get from them and the rest of the team is what it is. At this point, I, I really don't see it as, as being that solvable. I, I don't know how you could solve a lot of the problems that this team has. Yeah, I agree. I think for the most part, it is what this team is. Kind of like I was saying earlier, the one positive side is, you know, that those freshmen are going to have growing pain. So you hope as you get down the stretch, those guys will be more consistent. In, in theory, you'd think they would, but that's far from a guarantee. And then you just you look at it, what we were just saying that Barnes said today. They don't have consistent inside scoring, and they don't have a consistent presence on the offensive glass. So when you can't do those two things, you're just so reliant on how you shoot the ball. And this isn't a bad shooting team, but it's, it's far from a great shooting team. So the inconsistencies, they're just naturally going to come. There's just going to be games where this team, this team can't score, and that's what's maddening about them is that South Carolina they scored 50 points in the first half and Saturday they scored 52 points in the game but that's just kind of the nature of this team I think where they have to find consistency is on the defensive end and you know they have to be consistency consistently very good on the defensive end to survive games in March down the stretch of the season when the shots aren't going in and yeah I, I just think like you said I think it's the offensive end, the inconsistency is unsolvable unless you somehow get Fulkerson all of a sudden last few weeks of the season storming back. But I don't think I yeah. think that's going to be the case. No, yeah, I, I agree. I I don't I don't see him breaking out of this anytime soon. I think uh, he is what he is this season. You hope he can get some rebounds and some hustle points, maybe to kind of save some possessions at some points. But I think you know five to seven points is the most you should expect from him from a game this season. He's just not he's not what he was. Yeah, certainly. So pivoting, neither of us necessarily think think Fulkerson is going to take a big leap. Who on this team, and maybe big loop's too big of a word, but who on this team can take a step forward, you think, in the next few weeks and really improve how Tennessee is playing and kind of give Tennessee and potentially give Tennessee an extra gear? This may be a little bit of a cop-out, but I think it's uh, Josiah Jordan-James taking a step off of the injury list. I think uh, his return, he's kind of a uh, – as. Rick Barnes calls Eve Pons a fix-it guy on the defensive end. I think Josiah is a fix-it guy in just about every facet of Tennessee's game. He can rebound the ball. He makes kind of key shots when he needs to. He's just kind of the glue guy that makes things work when he's on. And I think him coming, you know, off the injury list, if they can get him back to some semblance of health, you know, pretty soon, I think he's the key to, you know, maybe making this team the best it can be with what it has right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's he's such a stabilizing force on this team, such a stabilizer for the team. Two guys for me, one we were just kind of talking about him, but Pons, I think, you know, it's, it's a big question mark about the knee. How much is he going to be able to get better with the knee? You know, how much is that going to be holding him back? 
So I think that kind of is a bit of an asterisk on it, but we've seen him this year be a guy that can score 15 points a game, be an offensive weapon. And obviously it's pretty apparent what he does on the defensive end. I think if he can get back to playing that way, that even if he's not doing it all in the interior, that just gives Tennessee a little bit of that interior scoring gives, gives someone down low some confidence just because they don't have that at all. They don't have anyone playing in the post with a whole lot of confidence right now. And the other guy I'd say is Santiago Vescovi. That's just purely from the offensive end. I think they can maybe get more out of him shooting the ball wise. He hasn't really been as aggressive shooting the three pointer as he was last season. Obviously some of that's just due to the weapons that he has, but over his last about 12 games, he only has two in double, double digits, the game against Georgia two weeks ago, he hit a bunch of threes. It, it feels like he has to give them more. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't have it. You know, they, it's not going to happen, but he needs to give Tennessee more, especially on the offensive end. That shooting we talk about, that's the inconsistency. He's a guy, he's, you know, their best or second best shooter. He needs to have the confidence to, to shoot it. Maybe not quite at the rate Victor Bailey does. He, he brings confidence to a whole nother level. We'll take some bad <laughs> But he needs to have a little bit more of that confidence. He can shoot the deep three. Barnes has talked about that. Take that deep three to make defenses respect you. It's it's something I think would be worth watching. And a guy they really need to get more out of because he's kind of been a non-factor the past few weeks. Yeah. I, I yeah. I think he can uh step his maybe just step his percentages up a little bit. I think, you know, maybe they found lightning in a bottle with Victor Bailey Jr. Uh hopefully you can keep that production going. But like you were saying, uh for how good he is when he's on, he does struggle at points because he's not afraid to shoot even when he's off. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if we'll see this at all, but it, it makes a lot of sense for me. I I think to move him off the ball a little bit more offensively, especially when teams are or pressuring, extending the defenses. We've seen him struggle there. And obviously, if you're on playing some of the other guard spots, you get the chance to get some spot-up open looks against pressure defense. But that'll be something worth watching as Tennessee moves forward. Marches on another week, gets the game rescheduled against Vanderbilt back to win. Tennessee was originally supposed to travel to Nashville. They will go there this Wednesday, take on the Commodores before staying on the road Saturday, taking on Auburn in a noon Eastern game. Two games against teams that want to get up and down the court. What what are you looking for for Tennessee this week? Well, I think going into Vanderbilt on Wednesday, I think, uh, you know, Pippen Jr. is obviously the guy you worry about. But Dylan DeSue has kind of been on fire lately. He's been one of the most dominant players in the paint in the SEC the past few weeks, which is not what you want to hear if you're a Tennessee fan, Tennessee coach, whatever. I think uh, – that's going to be more of a problem than they than they were the first time around for Tennessee. And that's something that, you know, if they don't come out ready to play, I think that I could see them losing Wednesday night. And then against against Auburn, they've, you know, Bruce Pearl has always had Rick Barnes's number at Tennessee. So I think uh, what you're worrying about is Sharif Cooper, seeing if he's going to go for, you know, 30 points or do something spectacular like he does. And at that point, I think if Josiah is healthy by Auburn, you go with the small ball lineup specifically against Auburn because I think that's your best chance to win against Auburn. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we maybe talked about this a little in the last few weeks about that small ball lineup gives Tennessee kind of the, the looks to defend Auburn that they've really struggled yeah. with the past few years. So, you know, that's a game I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch as much inconsistency as Tennessee's had. It does seem like they've played the spreaded out teams, shooting a lot of threes a little bit better this season, especially the last few months. So that'll be interesting to watch. I also think in that Auburn game, Auburn 
they have the athletes, the type of athletes that LSU have, the type of athletes Kentucky have that can give Tennessee's offense problems, can stop dribble drive penetration, make Tennessee shoot it over them. So it'll be interesting to see how Tennessee responds in that one. And then the midweek game, yeah, Vanderbilt, you know, they've for as bad as their, their record's been, as bad as they've been the past few years, they, they're playing really well right now. They've only won one of their last three games, but they lost by four against a Kentucky team who's clearly playing a lot better, lost by four on Saturday at Alabama. You said, you said, I mean, Dylan DeSue, he's, he's really turned into a, a really solid number two, SC, number two player for an SEC team. The question mm-hmm. for Vanderbilt is who, who after Pippen and DeSue steps up and gives them much. But I think yeah. – I think the way DeSue's playing also adds some importance or maybe a little bit of a push to see if Josiah gets back by Wednesday just because he's kind of in that same mold that Keon Brooks is that, you know, Keon Brooks gave Tennessee a bunch of problems or gave Ponds a bunch of problems two weeks ago in that game in Lexington. And Josiah James was kind of a little bit of a stopper. But those guys in that 6'8 range who are athletic bigs, Josiah can guard. And I think he would, you know, is a good matchup for DeSue. So, We'll see if he's able to play, and if he does, how much of an effect he will have on him. But we will have complete coverage for both those games this week on the road in Nashville and at Auburn, and we will be back for the second segment of Checkerboard Chat where me and the assistant sports editor, Josh Lane, will talk about a Tennessee Lady Vols basketball week to follow the men's team in consistency. Uh, the best win in the Kelly Harper era followed up with a disappointing loss at Georgia. So more in just a second. Back here in segment number two of this week's checkerboard chat. I am now joined by Josh Lane, the assistant sports editor here at Daily Beacon, Lady Vols beat writer. Josh, it was an up and down week for the Lady Vols, snapping USC's 31-game win streak to start the week. How'd they uh, mount a double-digit second-half comeback and defeat what's been the gold standard for women's basketball in the SEC the past few years? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned the double-digit comeback. Uh, they they really had a poor first half. Um, Coach Harper said after the game that they lacked energy. Um, you know, they were turning the ball over. They were making mistakes. Renaya Davis didn't score a point in the first half of that uh, South Carolina game. So, you know, that was a really big thing for them. And so at halftime, it was really funny. story. she said she called them soft. And, you know, they really came out. They looked like a totally different team. Rendaya Davis went off for 24 points. And, you know, Ray Burrell came out with a really, really nice day. So I guess it was probably thanks to Coach Harper and her, you know, motivation at halftime, cleaning up mistakes and stuff. She said they didn't really change anything basketball-wise. It was more of an execution point. So, you know, playing with energy, uh, getting Renaya Davis back, obviously getting her scoring, uh, that really helped them take down the number two team in the nation. Yeah, I mean, the Renaya Davis second half was one of the best performances, I mean, I've seen in a while. 24 points on six of eight shooting, 10, 10 of 10 at the free throw line, grabbed 12 rebounds as total in the game, not just the second half. But, I mean, you obviously she's had a great career here, but – it's hard to imagine a performance she's had better given kind of given the stage. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, this, this stage against the number two team, the nation, you know, with, with the way that the first half had gone and how she didn't score a point, just to kind of pick up, pick up the team, carry it on her back, score 24 points, super clutch shots, a bunch of, bunch of makes at the free throw line, really just a great performance to kind of give Tennessee their statement win of the year. Yeah. Um, Definitely, like you said, they were close to getting that statement win a month ago against UConn. We've talked about that on here. They were right in that game until late. And then 
than just lost it. But big picture, what what does a program defining win like this mean for Kelly Harper in her second season? Oh yeah, for sure. It means I think it means that Kelly Harper is probably going to be here for the long term. It means that the success that they they've had this year is I think is it means it's legit. It's not a fluke. Um, you know, last year she kind of had success to start off the year, but her team sort of tailed off. They lost five straight games in February last year. I know, you know, this year, like, you know, they haven't played super well of late outside of this South Carolina game, but I think it still says big picture that Kelly Harper is taking this program in the right directions, that she's definitely the coach of the future. And, you know, with the talent they have with Burrell and Key and some of these other young freshmen that in the future year, I think it's going to be pretty bright for Tennessee. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned some of the struggles here as of late besides that South Carolina game, and we will get to that now. Progress, you know, it isn't always linear when you're building a team or a program, and there's no better example of that than Tennessee this week. Falling to Georgia 57-55 to seemed like a really flat first half performance, got down by eight, just scored 19 points. What kind of went in? What did you see to a, a disappointing follow-up after your biggest win of the season? For sure. Um, you know, they were a multitude of reasons, but the biggest one is they were not hitting shots at all in that first half. You mentioned 19 points scored in, in two quarters, I think 10 in the first, nine in the second. You know, they're shooting 12% on the first half when you go and you got sharpshooters like Davis and Burrell who aren't playing well tomorrow. Key is usually super good score, you know, from the post position, but she was shooting very low that day. So, you know, you have bad shooting, but also the amount of turnovers that they had, um, you know, 20 turnovers, I think it was. Jordan Horston had a bad game of turnovers. Kush Kittle had a bad game of turnovers. And so, you know, the, I think uh, Georgia had eight steals as well. So, you know, you're pairing that with 13 percentage uh, shooting in the first half. That's not a good recipe for success. And they kind of broke out of that just a little bit in the second half. They were shooting at a better mark. Um, Ray Burrell really came on in the second half, but it was just too late for Tennessee. You know, they kind of done it all year. They get themselves in these big holes in the first half, and sometimes they claw out of it. But, you know, at Georgia, they ended up just short. Yeah, certainly. And you just you look at the numbers you're not going to win many games that you shoot 29 percent and turn the ball over 20 times that's just that's just really inexcusable offense you know you're not going to beat real many teams especially a team that as solid as Georgia is this season do you feel like Tennessee now having lost three of their last four granted against good competition with coming off the COVID break but do you feel like there's an inconsistency problem with this team or yeah do you feel like there's an inconsistency problem with this team yeah, definitely. I do. I know I was just praising Tennessee for that South Carolina win, but kind of all year they've been they've been having this consistency issue. Well, they're come out of the game out of the start of the game and they're they're not playing well at all. This first half, you know, against South Carolina wasn't bad. Georgia was bad. And just all year they've had these bad first half and that it takes, a, you know, a stern message from Kelly Harper at halftime to sort of sort of right the ship so to speak. And, you know, sometimes it works against South Carolina it works, you know, against a few other teams earlier in this year, but sometimes it doesn't. And we saw that, we saw that with Georgia, I think Texas A&M was the same way earlier in the year. And so, you know, having these, having these inconsistencies of we're not scoring anything in the first half, we're turning the ball over way too much. You know, we're not playing good defense. And then you come out in the second half and all those things are better. You can't keep doing that. It does make it more dramatic, but it's not, it's not a good recipe for winning consistently. And I think this team, they definitely have the potential to make 
make a good postseason run, but they're going to have to clean up the consistency. They're going to have to come out and um, and play good basketball from the start of the game. And one thing Kelly Harper talked about after Georgia's Georgia loss was, you know, it kind of started on Friday and Saturday in practice. They don't, she didn't think like they had a good practice. So, you know, as simple as that sounds to have a good practice, that's where it's got to start for the Lady Vols is so that way they come in to the start of the game. They feel prepared. They feel confident, you know, to get to get a good start to the game. That way they don't have to come back every time. You know, what do you think is contributing the most to the inconsistency? Is it the young nature of this team? Is it, you know, regards Horston and, and Burrell haven't seemed to be particularly consistent themselves? Do you put it kind of on that backcourt inconsistency or, you know, a mixture? What, what do you credit it to? You know, I think a couple of things is, first of all, that the SEC has been pretty good this year. So, you know, good defenses, good, you know, good, keeping Tennessee in check. That's probably part of it. But then, as you mentioned, the uh, kind of the youngness of the team, you know, and their starters is that Ray Burrell, she's a junior, but she didn't play many games. She started just nine last year. You know, Jordan Horston has been getting a lot of starts and she's a sophomore tomorrow. He's a sophomore. And so, some of them, some of your bigger players, you counting on scoring, counting on uh, getting the offense going. They've been turning the ball over more. You know, they go through these cold spells, and then on top of that, when Renaya Davis, she goes cold too. You know, can't really do much with that. You're looking to your senior, senior forward for scoring, and because uh, everybody else is is uh, going through a drought, and if she's not scoring too, then it's really tough for them. So, you know, I think just some of those reasons that that you know has led to pretty inconsistent play. Yeah, definitely. And moving forward, Tennessee now has just one week left in the regular season and quite a bit to play for. The Lady Vols currently sit at the number four spot in the SEC, holding on or trying to hold on to a double bye in next week's SEC tournament in Greenville. But Tennessee just a game back at the third place spot. Actually, excuse, yeah, just a game back in the third place spot behind Georgia actually tied with Kentucky. Now Kentucky's played two more games than them, but tied with them for the fourth place spot, a game lead over sixth place Alabama. So real tight in there, but after what's been a gauntlet of a few weeks, Tennessee has the schedule easing up for them a little bit. They will have a road trip to Missouri this week. He was four and eight in SEC play eight, and nine overall before most likely ending the regular season unless there's the game rescheduled that we, we don't think is likely to happen, but can't completely rule that out. They will end the regular season on next Sunday at home against a Auburn team that's been pretty awful this year, 0-12 in SEC play. What, how much of an opportunity is, is this for Tennessee to get back on track kind of heading into postseason play? Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity for the Lady Vols. As you mentioned, you know, they kind of been put through the ringer these last couple of weeks. They've had a bunch of opponents, uh, ranked teams, you know, a bunch of road games, and then all the travel stuff that it, that went on in Texas with the weather. I mean, they, it's just been a crazy last, you know, month for the Lady Vols. And so, you know, you look at it and you've got two very winnable games coming up, um, Missouri and Auburn, you know, you think these are two that Tennessee can capitalize on that can get momentum going into the postseason. That's always a big thing is when are you, you know, kind of peaking at the right time, hopefully at the end of the year. And so, you know, they're looking to capitalize on this, on this week's schedule, as you said, um, and, you know, take it into the SEC tournament because they're, they're holding on right now. They really want that double buy to get, you know, have to hold off till Friday. I think it was, it'd be the first time they play if they get the double buy. So they want those extra days of rest, but, you know, they've got to come out 
and they got to compete against these two teams because I know they're bad, but if you know, if Tennessee's coming out and they're not scoring again, they're shooting 12% in the first half. That's not going to be easy, even against bad teams like these. So they definitely need to come out there and take advantage of it because they've got, they've, they've got so much potential on this team. The ceiling is so high. I definitely think that they can make a good postseason run, but they def, they, it needs to start with uh, taking advantage of these two weaker teams to end the regular season. Yeah, you're certainly right. If there's anything we've learned this season from both the men's and women's teams, that you can't take any game for granted. There, You don't know when they're going to show up. You don't know what's going to happen. So certainly should be interesting to watch this last week of the regular season as Tennessee tries to get on positive footing before heading into postseason. And we'll have everything you need at utdailybeacon.com on the road trip to Missouri and the home game against Auburn. Josh also covers the Tennessee baseball team for us. So quickly here on the way out, Josh, Tennessee opens their baseball season on the road, sweeping Georgia Southern and really three pretty close competitive games. What were your takeaways from Tennessee's uh, opening weekend uh, sweep? Yeah, for sure. It was it was good to see baseball back in. I know they were in Georgia, but, you know, baseball being played for Tennessee, it was good to see that back. Um, that was a pretty good Georgia Southern team. So, you know, they get the sweep, but that's definitely one I think they can hang their hats on because that was a pretty good team. You know, Georgia Southern was had pretty good lineup that they had good hitters, they had great pitching. So I think it's pretty good for Tennessee to get out there and play that play that uh, team to kind of start the year off. You had some great pitching performances from Tennessee. Chad Dallas looked really good on opening night. Um, Elijah Pleasance looked really good yesterday. We saw Blade Tidwell. He wasn't as sharp, but I think it's, it was good for him to kind of get that first experience in. And then in the lineup, um, Jake Rucker had a really nice weekend. Liam Spence had a nice weekend. Drew Gilbert had a great game on Saturday with two homers. So I think to kind of to start the year off, this is definitely, definitely they'll take pride in this one because there was no, no bad Georgia Southern team they were playing. Is, so. Yeah, going on the road and, and getting three wins, I think it's always something to be excited about. Georgia Southern seemed good, seemed like a good team. And it'll be interesting to see how they do going forward because they have a, a lot of other pretty solid opponents on Georgia Southern does on their schedule. They play a ranked East Carolina team this next weekend, midweek games against Georgia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, and another weekend series against Oklahoma. A couple of things that stood out to me, I didn't think Roy Tennessee played as best this weekend, especially, you know, hitting. I think they only had four players exit the first weekend hitting over 200. For them to find a way to piece together some runs, be competitive, grit out games, I think that's a good sign. I think that kind of shows the the character and the leadership of this team. And then, you know, the last thing, last year we saw in the shortened season, the sophomore class of Connor Pavoloni, Jake Rucker, Max Ferguson, all those guys have breakout seasons. I think you saw that a little bit with Tennessee's sophomores this year. Drew Gilbert, Jordan Beck, both hit two home runs on the weekend. Both had, had some big bats, some big hits. And, you know, you mentioned Drew Gilbert. He was about the only player on the Tennessee team that didn't have a big strikeout problem this weekend. As Tennessee struck out 45 times, he just had one of them in 13 at bats. So certainly a, a good sign for him, and it should be an interesting, fun Tennessee baseball season. They have five games this week, two with Arkansas Pine Bluff in the midweek, and then a weekend home series against Indiana State. We'll have Everything you need here at utdailybeacon.com. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Checkerboard Chat. I'm Ryan Shepard, joined in this second segment by Josh Lane. Have a great rest of your week, everybody.